welcome to the show. And uh, if you're tuning in for the first time, make sure to subscribe or follow the show wherever you're listening or watching so you don't miss any future episodes. I've got some great, great guests coming up. You don't want to miss these guests. Uh, but my guest today, Jordan Rudis from Dream Theater, is a Juilliard trained musician who's just got a brilliant music mind. And I, on the other hand, do not. Uh, I don't know a fraction of what he knows, uh, nor am I, I a diehard Dream Theater fan, as uh, I'm sure many of you listening are. So please go easy on me for this interview. I really enjoyed the interview. I really enjoyed talking about Jordan's early music days uh, when he almost played on Pink Floyd's The Wall, uh, how he joined Dream Theater. We talk about the new Dream Theater album, the apps he's developed, and more. So enjoy it. Please welcome Jordan from Dream Theater, Liquid Tension Experiment, and your solo career, right? Thanks, man. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's exciting. So you started playing piano in second grade. You, you didn't even have a piano at home. You just started playing in the, the classroom, right? That's right. Basically, what happened was that there was this piano that was against one of the walls in the classroom, and I was kind of drawn to it. And so I was like picking out melodies and doing stuff. And one day the teacher called up my mother and said, hey, Jordan is playing the piano so beautifully in the classroom. He's accompanying the kids and the little songs and everything. And my mother was like, what are you talking about? Like, we don't even have a piano. You must be thinking of another kid. She was like, no, no, no. He's playing. You should you should know about. Yeah. That. So is this like your first foray into me? Like you would never before that you would never there's no other instruments at home. You just kind of figured out that you knew had this aptitude for this. No, no one in my uh, family played an instrument uh, and we didn't have a piano. So we just, uh, I don't know, we bought, my mother bought one like, you know, a week later. After, yeah. a nice little piano and I started taking lessons and then, uh, of course, never stopped. Yeah. So then explain this because you went to Juilliard, but did did you enter at age nine years old? You didn't actually go to Juilliard. Was there some sort of like pre-Juilliard school? Yeah, or? the way Juilliard works is there's a preparatory division, which is for younger people. And then there's the college division. So okay. there's people at Juilliard that are like eight years old, you know, maybe, I don't know about seven, but very young. A lot of them come from like Asia where, you know, they're like taught to like sit and practice at a very young age and just focus and they can do amazing things. There was a kid I went to Juilliard with. I was nine. He was nine. He was writing operas like a, it was like ridiculous. His name. I even remember his name because it had a big effect on me at the time. I was thinking, what's this kid? Ken Yoda is writing operas at Juilliard. So there was very, very talented kids going to the preparatory division. But that was a division that was like you basically Saturdays were when they ran that, that prep school. Mm -hmm. And then most of the kids, if not all of them would take additional lessons with their main teacher uh, at some point during the week. So I was basically going, once I started Juilliard, I was, my mother would drive me into the city. I'd take a lesson like on a whatever Tuesday or Wednesday. And then on Saturdays I'd be doing the Juilliard thing. And then another day somebody would come to my house and teach me composition. Uh, so there was a, you know, it was very kind of like intense once that started and there wasn't a whole lot of room for, well, anything else. So, um, yeah, that was kind of like my, uh, the, the beginning of, you know, my path. So do you, do you, now do you, does that push you to get better being around all these other kids that are so talented or did you ever have like the thought like, oh man, I, I should just quit. I'm never going to be as good as these other kids. Or is it everyone just trying to improve themselves? Well, I was in my own space and getting enough encouragement and, and just people behind me uh, to feel like, you know, I could make, do what I would. First of all, I loved 
I always loved playing music, so nothing mm-hmm. was going to take that away. But you're right. I mean, in the sense that there was a lot of competition, there were kids who were playing pieces that were harder than the ones I was playing at a younger age or whatever. But I didn't so much take that into my life. Uh, I was more on my own path and feeling good about it and working really hard to do what I do. I think, uh, you know, definitely some people could get left by the wayside with the kind of things you're talking about, but that mm-hmm. wasn't did you you did you just get like obsessed with music? I mean, was there did you ever feel like you're missing out on something else or you really just wanted to spend all your time doing music? I really did. I mean, I I totally wanted to spend all my time doing music. I do remember the day that I was walking along in my street near where I live and these girls were on their bicycles that were kind of like in my around my age and uh they stopped and oh you were always just sitting kind of almost teasing me you're always just sitting around just practicing like you never come out like you know and i felt a little bad (laughs) but then i was like you know what you're right that's what i'm that's what i do i didn't care like you know it's it stuck with me because it was it pointed out to me that okay i'm living a very different life i'm just this kid who nobody sees i'm just like you know yeah they were like and they were making fun of me a little bit but um Hey, who has the last laugh? Yeah. Yeah. You want to do something really well and focus on it. Maybe this is how you do it. It's almost like it's a drug for you. Like you're addicted to this. Like it's a drug, but it's, it's a positive thing. I mean, it's not destructive in any way. You're bringing all this. I think that it's interesting that you put it that way because it's something to really think about. First of all, music is something that many of us love so much. Mm -hmm. We all know musicians or people who picked up instruments and tried to make it in the musical space, but maybe they weren't quite good enough or they didn't have enough time to do it, but they still love it. And maybe mm-hmm. they tried. And so I music, love to listen to music. I can't play at all, yeah, but I love listening. But music is like a drug. Yeah. It's something that brings us pleasure. So how much time can we really invest in this drug or this pleasure? Like what's really okay. I mean, there's real life. There's other things to deal with. There's all kinds of stuff. There's other education that needs to happen, whatever. So there is a bit of a, a balance issue that you, one could say that in my life that I play with, like, well, maybe I'm maybe like, like my friend, Stephen Wilson says, you know, to be, to do what we do, we have to be a little bit selfish. Right. So, and he's right because, you know, we're trying to do something so well and it, it involves this thing called music. And so we want to do it all the time, but there are other things to deal with. So it's like, how do you balance that out? You know, I could sit at the piano for the rest of the day and just play, and I'd be in like in the happiest headspace, right? Right. Is that okay? But you got to do podcasts and you got to do business stuff, I'm sure. And there's there's a lot of stuff. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, for sure. And I don't, I just don't want to be like, I can't afford to be just totally swallowed up by my own pleasure. No, but you said you had an interesting mentality. You say that there was nothing else that you could imagine yourself doing. So even if you were just playing piano in a, at a bar or a French restaurant down the street, like you were going to play music. Yeah. What's that? I played in a fresh French restaurant. Yeah. And I played in bars. And yeah. Yeah. Right. So right. What, if, what if it, it cool. got to the point where like you're playing, you could play on the street or something for you would, you would, you would have done that if you, if you couldn't have, if you've gone down a different path. I've done that too, though. Really? <laughs> I've done all the above. Yeah, wow. for sure. When I was younger, before my career happened, I, I remember playing on the street a little bit. Sure. Okay. So you not, not like a, like a person who's like desperate for money, yeah. either, but more just like kind of was young to help out or. Play in the street. Yeah, know. that's cool. So is this a true story? Um, because you know, Wikipedia can sometimes not be true, but 
you were not you didn't play on Pink Floyd's The Wall, but you were invited to the sessions, but then the producer rejected your work or something. But you were yeah. possibly going to be on Pink Floyd's The Wall. <laughs> right? Yeah, so is that true? There is, there is truth to that. Okay. But the story is deeper than that. Oh. Yeah. I was uh okay, so I had a friend of mine, a dear friend, Blue Ocean. That was his name, Blue Ocean. And I was actually in the Ocean Star band for a while. And uh we used to sit around at his place and he he was like, you know, this guy who is a drummer, but he also was very connected with um, a lot of the studios. He used to deliver like eight balls in the middle of the night to them, like so they could stay awake. And, you know, but we were friends and we played music together. We were just hanging out and getting high or whatever the hell we were doing. And he one day he said to me, Jordan, he says, he says, come on, man. He says, I just got a call. You're going with me. He was a little older than me. So I was kind of like tagging along with him, said that he was kind of fun and cool. Um, and also he had the best drugs. So we were, <laughs> we were I didn't know out. you were into the drug. I never heard that well, part I'm of this. Not anymore. Okay, not sure. Of course. Anyone, but I'm yeah. 64 years old and life is long. <laughs> but anyway, we're talking about that specific yeah. time. Period. Sure. So uh, he said, come on, let's go do this. So I was like, sure let's go and then while we're going to the studio i knew nothing about it he says oh you know you you play you can play snare drum right like i was like wait snare drum i, I played that in third grade like i was you know so we got to the i was oh whatever i didn't know where we were going yeah we, we got there and i'm playing you know like he hands me some sticks and puts me at a snare drum and <laughs> they were like whatever like 14 drummers there's this beautiful studio still didn't know what it was and I start going, brun, da, dun, brun, da, trying to remember how to do that. Brun, and, you know, the, the guy, Bob Ezrin, he looks at me and he, and he says, uh, I, I don't know, like, maybe, maybe you can hang out. Like, we don't really need you to, to do, to play. A couple of guys got, you know, he just kind of pinned it down to, I guess, the guys who we thought were the best. And so I, so I went into the control room. It was very casual. I just walked into the control room. All of a sudden I hear like, David Gilmore's voice, they were rewinding because we were playing on that whole section that's bring the boys back home, right? So um, I heard like the guy in Pink Floyd and I'm thinking, what the hell is this? Because mostly they were just going to this that one section, but they happened to rewind a little bit more wow. and I heard the Pink Floyd voice. I said, holy shit, is this a Pink Floyd session? And I didn't care that I got kicked off the drums. I mean, fuck it, I'm not a drummer anyway. <laughs> hanging out with my friend. Yeah. You know, Kind of enjoying whatever this was so i thought to myself this is a fucking pink floyd session <laughs> that is so cool yeah even just to be yeah. in that room and everything and hear the song before it came out it's a funny memory right i mean i only heard that one section and yeah. it happened to rewind a little bit too far but so that story is true um it was a long time ago and uh, yeah i got to uh, i was i was in the uh i got kicked off the pink floyd session <laughs> that's a cool story though so so then you start this solo career and then uh, I guess it took a while because it wasn't until 94 when you got the, you were voted best new talent. And then at that point you had two offers, right? You had the offer to join Dixie Dregs or Dream Theater. And you chose the dre you chose the uh, Dregs because you could still do your solo stuff and, and have more flexibility, right? Right. Hey, you know what? I could, next time I get an interview and I don't feel like doing it, I'm calling you. <laughs> you <talk about> me. <laughs> and now thanks to the little good juicy tidbits I'm filling in, you even know more. <laughs> right. This is good. This is good stuff. So, so yeah, that's, that's really smart though. But then, so like dream theater, like didn't give up on you. They just kept like, they must've really wanted you to wait. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. So I, so I decided to do the dregs. It was a tough decision, but you know, what? we had, my wife and I just had a child and, you know, I, it was a lot of parameters right. going it was financial, emotional, personal, all those things. And I decided that I kind of knew who the dregs were, you know, they were a band that was part of my radar where dream theater kind of wasn't, although I was hmm. turned on to them. I liked them all. Their music was really, really cool, but I kind of made a decision based on all those factors to do that. But then, um, you know, then I got the call to do the liquid tension thing. Not that long after all that. And uh, that sounded really cool. So I didn't get to, I didn't join dream theater, but I got a chance to work with John and Mike. So did that and did two albums with them. And then after that, they were kind of like, Hey, Jordan, want to revisit this? Cause then we knew that we really got along and, you know, as com we could compose music together and work together and, and their career had also blossomed and things changed to where it was going to be more practical for me to actually do it. So I was like, yeah, let's do it. And so that of course, you know, led to scenes from a memory. Yeah. And then liquid tension experiment. Um, you, you're still doing that too. They, they just had a recent album this year, right? We did. After 22 years, we got back together and put uh, the LTE three album together. Yeah. That song, uh, I haven't listened to all that stuff, but the acid rain, I think that's your most popular song on Spotify. That's I mean, it's the musicianship on that song. I mean, this, this, all your bands, all your work, I've listened to so much of it. It's, it just blows my mind. Cause again, I'm not a musician. I'm like, how do you guys even like write these songs? It's, yeah, is it complicated? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, you know, it can be, it, yeah. let's, let's give it some perspective. I mean, like, like for me, just speaking totally personally, like I have done a lot of training and, you know, my biggest thing in my life is to be able to connect what's in my head to my fingers, to be able to do it. So certain things aren't that complicated because I've worked on them for a long time, getting mm -hmm. these ideas out into my fingers. Um, and certain things can be harder, but I could like sit at the piano right now and play some music that you might feel like, well, like, well, that's complicated or whatever. But for me, I'm just like, it's almost like talking. I'm just letting it, letting it flow out, out of my brain, you know, where it might get harder, where it might enter the range of complicated is let's say I'm in a room and Mike Mangini's there and John's there and we start doing something and Mike says, wow, I can play in 13-8 time, which is a very, you know, interesting, odd time signature, while you do that thing in 4-4. Four, four. And then when we accent, when, you know, the thing wraps around, why don't you accent on every ninth beat? And then I go, oh, okay, that might take some figuring out to do. So we can get into a more complex situation, which might need some calculation. And, you know, even to the point of like maybe writing it out and seeing the way things line up. So, you know, dream theater is known to do things that are, let's, let's call it for lack of a better word right now, like an academic kind of thing to make something that might yeah. end up being a head spinner. And that might be hard to do for us because we have to work it out. What's not so hard, but might be hard for other people that don't have the training or haven't practiced as much. is just the natural output. Like I can jam seven, you know, in the time of seven, eight without even thinking about it or five or improvise in the style of gentle giant or yes to, to a point. And that's not necessarily that hard, but that's because there's a lot of work, a lot of time, you know, to, to get that fluidity, to get that. Right. Uh, because a lot of musicians, I remember I took guitar lessons when I was in high school and I remember my teacher telling me like a lot of the rock stars that I looked up to, he said, they don't even know how to read music. Like Angus Young from ACDC doesn't read music, just yeah. plays by ear. Yes. Right. But just because they don't know how to read music doesn't mean they didn't spend time honing their craft. Oh, no. 
for sure. It's just a different way to. I don't know Angus's story, but he probably sat there for a while with his amp and trying to get the sound he wanted until he got it, and then he could reproduce it, and especially under pressure, and you know, just like kind of really dial it, dial whatever it is in. You know? Do you guys write when you write the music? Do you write it out like on a board or something, or how how does that work? Um, what's interesting is that like I literally sit there and I have a piece of music. I have a music notation book. Hmm. And I'll jot down things. I don't have like a memory like John Petrucci, who's got an uncanny memory, probably because he doesn't even rely on, you know, read. He, he can read music. I think I know he can read music, but it's not his the general thing that he's always doing. Mm-hmm. But with me, I'm a, I read music. I play classical music. I take my pencil to the page. I'm writing stuff out. So I kind of rely on it. And a lot of times. Some things I don't need to write down, but other things I like to write down because then I can start to line things up and do like, okay, if I play this, then I can see, and I, oh, well, what happens if I put, you know, a guitar note there and maybe one there and I can look at it and go, that's really cool, you know? So I'm kind of, that's that's another approach that could happen as well. So for me, that tool of being able to write things down is very useful. Yeah, no, the process, it's fascinating. So the new single, the latest single is called Invisible Monster of course, it's a masterpiece, like every song you guys do. And then the Alien—that's another new song. That's brilliant. Great riff in there. So this, these are part of the upcoming album. It's called "A View from the Top of the World." Right? It comes out October twenty-second. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. Tell us more about what we can expect from this album. All I've seen—I've heard the two songs, and they sound great. And then there's—I think there's five other ones, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So what's interesting is, of course, everybody, you know, Dream Theater fans are incredibly active. They all have opinions. They're all experts, you know, mm-hmm. which uh, which is an interesting space for us all to kind of as as the artists in the band. It's interesting to have that all happening all the time. Um, but I would say that, you know, it's hard when you release a tune or two to totally know what's coming. I mean, everybody wants to like listen to Invisible Monster and say, oh, that's what the Dream Theater album is? Oh, well then I'll love it. Or I don't know, you know? But meanwhile, that's a small, you know, offering from a big work. So anybody who's listening to this and hasn't heard the album yet know that there's a whole lot more going on like stylistically than either of those songs. I would say that if you had to like judge a book by its cover, that the 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 better cover to judge it from is the alien because that one has a little bit more it's a little bit more like open spirited it's not trying to be more of a concise song and it's a little bit more what the album is about because first of all many of the songs on the album are long most of the songs are longer uh so the alien kind of tells the story okay virtuosity it has the metal it has the proggy it has the melodic it kind of shows you what we were going for in the in the bigger picture of this album but again even that doesn't cover everything because it's one song and you know we went in other directions as well is there a, is there a theme that ties it all together because that last song uh, the t- song of the uh, t- title track of you from the top of the world it's t- it's a 20 minute song right right it's a 20 minute song and that and you know it's not a concept album each song it's not. is like its yeah. own it, each song is really its own thing okay um, so, I mean, if anything that ties it together is kind of like the, the desire that we had to make an album in a certain, certain way, you know, we knew we wanted to have heaviness to it. We wanted to have really good hooks, like the vocal sections. We always like to be as kind of catchy as possible. Uh, we wanted to have some really cool leads, nice, all you know, yes. trading off between myself and John Petrucci. Um, so there's the elements, I think the, the kind of elements tie it together more than anything else. Cause I think every dream theater album, 
you know, to a certain extent, you can kind of almost put in a particular category. Like somebody says, oh, Octavarium, that's like your prog album, you know, or Train of Thought, that's your heavy album. Or like, you know, doesn't necessarily, it doesn't totally ring true for me. Like those kind of like uh, categorizations because those albums are deep and there's always a little bit of everything that we do even on train of thought there's a lot of proggy stuff on there too it's a lot of there are it's like as i am is on that album so you can find things that you mm-hmm. might say well, that's the heavy album but the reality is you know you have like a stream of consciousness that one of the songs in train of thought that's really more prog than anything else so yeah no it's cool and so this is interesting because a lot of the work that you do people don't know that it's your work on there unless it's like a true piano or a synthesizer they can hear you doing that, but you do you make a lot of other sounds with the keyboard. So explain that. Like, what other sounds can people hear on this album that they might not know that it's your work that you're well, doing? First of all, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, to a certain extent, as a keyboardist, you have to be devoid of ego because people don't always hear or know what it is you're doing. They hear a sound, but they can't pinpoint it. Huh. Unless it's a piano or an organ, they can say, oh, that's the keyboardist. Yeah. So is that kind of like guns and roses? They have two keyboard players and I'm like, I'm not hearing keyboards on all these songs. So that's similar kind of thing. Sometimes you don't know what's what. Yeah. Like you've heard, you've heard this new album, right? Well, I've heard the two songs. Yeah. Oh, you've heard the two. No, no, no. I didn't get an advanced copy. That would have been cool, but. Oh, okay. Well, you got to scream at your, your rep or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm at the Um, bottom of the food chain, but yeah. Oh no. So, uh, but anyway, so they, so, um, yeah, well, I'm the orchestra, I'm the chorus, I am the piano, the organ, you know, I'm the like special effects guy, the, the pads and all this stuff. And so any sound that's basically not a guitar or a bass or, or drums or the vocals is me. So there's a lot of things that a keyboard does. Like one of the roles, one of the roles that, that basically means that I have to give up my ego is a lot of times I'll play a supportive sound to the guitar, like a heavy sound that I made that gives maybe some extra body or weight or interesting character to like a riff that I'm doubling with the guitar, but you wouldn't say, Oh, that's a kid. Oh, I hear the keyboards. Hmm. Some people are more trained. They'll hear, Oh, that's that snarling pig sound. Like one of the, one of the cool, like heavy sounds that I developed that does go with the guitar really well. It's almost become like a signature kind of like sound that people recognize that I use to double like guitar riffs. Okay. So that's, that's one thing you can kind of listen for. The other thing is like on, on this new album, there's a lot of, a lot of orchestral stuff and I did it all with my keyboards and there's some really amazing virtual instruments out there that software based instruments that I can just do incredible strings and brass and winds and just put my hands down. And it sounds like fucking God, you know? So, so you don't need a a true, a full, I mean, obviously you would do the keyboards in concert, but when you're recording, you don't ever bring in a full orchestra or choir, just dream theater has dream theater has like in the past, but on this one, you didn't. This album, we didn't, we didn't. And, and I took the role, which I often do of, of bringing in the orchestral sounds. So like I have a buddy uh, who has a company that's called Plugin Guru and there's a software called Unify, U-N-I-F-Y. And he does this thing where he lets you basically access all these virtual instruments, different companies, but you can put them together in one. So I can have a tremendous brass sound from like 8DO in my left hand. And then in my right hand, I can be playing the Spitfire strings. And then the choir is coming from where, who the hell knows where, but it's this big sound that I can get to 
with my two hands like right away so stuff like that is on this album and it kind of gave us this thing there's even a sound on the title track it's um literally the sound when i play it i'm playing the theme which you'll hear when you hear the album but it's the sound of 66 trombones and the reason it's 66 trombones is because that's the that's the virtual instrument that this company called 8DO, which is the number 8DIO put together. They got 66 trombonists in a room together. That's like, that's material for a lot of jokes. But anyway, <laughs> 66 trombone players in a room together and they recorded them playing like every note and different articulations. Okay. And then as a keyboardist, I can go and get to that, that sound. And that is part of like what makes my sound on this album. So you could hear that, like these really big orchestral sounds and also some really big, cool sounding choirs that I'm playing, like these choir sounds. And the, and, the, and I didn't really do that so much on this album, but the choir thing on the on virtual instruments has gotten so deep to where I can actually type in words and stuff. And then as I program, as I play, like I'll, let's say I type in, hello there. I go, hello there. like. You know, wow. I have this thing online, which you guys can look up that are watching, just type in like Rudis, like Bohemian Rhapsody. And I literally wow. did this thing with a choir sound on the keyboard where I typed in the words. You have to be very kind of like exact with the way you type them and add extra vowels or whatever. But as I'm playing, it's speaking. The choir, is this the real? Oh, that's is so cool. Fantasy? And it's really, really cool. So there's a lot of, you know, my world is, is, um, is open to lots of possibilities. The other thing I just want to point out, which I've been um, proud to highlight, is on the title track, which when you hear it, you'll know what I'm talking about. It breaks down in the middle of the 20 minutes. I don't know exactly, maybe a 10-minute mark. And I'm playing my iPad with one of my own custom apps because you know I have a company called Wisdom, Wisdom with a Z, music. Is this and the GeoShred thing? GeoShred, yeah. So I'm playing, I'm playing a beautiful like cello sound, but I'm doing it on the iPad, expressing it on the iPad. And John Petrucci and I are playing basically a duet where he's playing the guitar and I'm playing this this cello. Uh, so wow. So that's what that GeoShred app does. You developed this with people from Stanford. I mean, how much? Right. What was your role exactly? I mean, you don't know. How, you're not actually writing the code and stuff for it. No, are you? no, I'm not a coder. Although I've learned a lot about it, but I'm still not a coder. My role was kind of as, as a, a vision person. Like, what do I want this? What do I want an app to do? Mm -hmm. Right. And I've gotten really much better at, I have a, I have a new app coming out on my mm. birthday, which is November 4th. It's an app. It's going to be called polywave all one word polywave. And it's an idea that I had, which I found a coder to, to help implement it. But once I have the idea, I talk to the people and we make it a reality. And then he starts like a coding, coding guy will put together something. I'll say, no, but can we do this? Can we do that? Can you make the waveform so I can move it around with my finger? Can we transpose it? Can we add, you know, uh, low frequency oscillators? Can we, so I start thinking, what do I want to have in this knowing what's to a, pretty good extent what's possible and what's not. So then the, all the discussion will go back and forth like, oh, I can do this, but maybe the user interface is getting too crowded. And I'll say, well, that's cool. Well, let's just do this instead. And so, you know, so with GeoShred, it was very much about like, I was like kind of supervising, if you will, like mm -hmm. what this thing is really going to sound like, you know, what I want the playing experience to be like. And then it's up to my partners to like make that happen because they're, you know, 
technical wizard. Yeah, you're like the Steve Jobs of this company, and they're doing all the... To a certain extent, yeah. Yeah. How smart are you? I mean, you talk about all the stuff, the apps, the music, going to Juilliard. Have you ever had your IQ tested? It's got to be up there, right? I think that, I think what, um, what it comes down to is that I'm very one-sided. I'm really, really, you know, obviously, you know, into music and I can think music and talk about music, but if this can come through my hands really naturally, and I, it's really using a different part of the brain, you know, as we've discovered and sure mm -hmm, you've seen mm -hmm. things about musicians. So I don't know what my, my IQ is. Uh, I don't remember from school days or whatever, but, but I'm so passionate about it all. And I'm so inspired. Yeah. You get a lot of ideas you know, the ideas kind of flow in my head. It's not, and it's not always about music. I also, just a creative person. I have ideas for all kinds of different things, but primarily I focus them on musical stuff. Uh, and I'm also, you know, a good, what they call a good user in the sense that I use these things. Like, like somebody will send me like the, 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 the raw kind of like app that maybe we were discussing and I put my hand on it and I'm good at kind of like, understanding like what works what doesn't what's confusing you know where should we go from here i just did an app that just came out actually it's for it's for ios for android and also for desktop it's called vivum it's like rhythm but with a v it's actually a free app so if mm. anybody's listening right now they can go check it out it's on ios android desktop but vivum is this um very cool app that you could think of it like kind of a visualizer, like one of these music visualizers, but it's not like, like the Apple visualizer or anything like that in the sense that it's very programmable. Like you oh. could get it, you could load in your own song into it, and then you can have it creating mandala effects, but you can kind of like use parameters to kind of do what you want and shape it the way you want. So you could mix like a like a, an image and a mandala effect. And it's just, you know, it's pretty easy to use and one could create a, music video with it but i love the whole you know i'm so sensitive to like combining music with visuals i kind of am not what's the word for that i can't think of it but some people are uh you know they like see audio when they look at colors or, oh you know. is that part of your role with dream theater do you synesthesia is okay I don't necessarily have that, but I'm close. Okay. You know, I really combine those two worlds in my head. So Vivim kind of does that. That's the reason I got into it. So mm. it's my it's my latest app that's released. Actually, it's pretty pretty cool. That's very cool. Yeah, I have some music teacher friends. I'm sure they would uh, love they love that kind of stuff. So, and then you guys are on tour. You have a uh, people should check the website. I'll put that in the show notes for the tour dates. But we uh, yeah, we had to postpone our tour that was going to happen. Uh, oh, you know, we would have been going out very soon to start but we postponed the tour due to everything that's going on you know in the world today so those we like the the, the tour dates coming up or not the october ones are not going to happen then not gonna happen. okay all right well that's so it's going to happen in february then yes okay february and the new album comes out october 22nd um yeah. anything when else are you wearing the show what's that when are you releasing this uh this show that uh probably right tomorrow now? friday Okay, so we're 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 releasing a little bit before uh, before the act. Yeah, to kind of get the buzz going, and uh, I'll share this with all the Dream Theater fans, and I'm sure they'll critique that I don't know anything about music. So. Oh, they, you know what? You can't win with our lovely fans because they all have a lot of opinions. And I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Great. It's great that we could create music and an energy that people want to be involved in. 
Yeah. I mean, no matter what they say, and some things are positive, some things are negative, whatever. But the fact that they all care so much, and they want to chime in. Yes. Oh, no, that album sucked. This one's the best one. Or, right. I, don't know. You know, I like this keyboard player. I like that one. I like this singer. You know, it's all a bunch of, as a musician in the band, I can't pay that much attention to it. Sure. But I can, I can be complimented by the fact that there is that much energy around the band. Right? Yes. I mean, you can look at it from another point of view and say, wow, their fans are really divisive. But the fact that they care so much. That's very know. cool. Absolutely. Um, well, I'd like to end each episode with a charity or nonprofit. Is there is something that, or cause that you want to support here at the end? Oh, well, that's nice. I mean, there's Music Cares, right? That's yeah. Nice. I've promoted that many times. We can put that one in the show notes. So after people buy the New Dream Theater, they can throw a few bucks that way. Perfect. I okay. Awesome. Awesome. Well, all right. Thank you so much for doing this. It's a lot of fun. It was fun, man. So nice to uh, nice to chat with you, Chuck, and we'll see you on the road at some point. Yeah, hopefully uh, the Phoenix, the, I think it was Mesa you were going to play. Hopefully that one gets rescheduled then. Yes, I'm sure it will. Okay. Thanks, Jordan. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Jordan Rudis, Dream Theater, Liquid Tension Experiment, solo artist. Make sure to check out all his work on Spotify or YouTube. It's really just brilliant. Check out his Instagram. It's really cool to see him play. There are some bird's eye view videos of him playing the piano. And it's really fascinating to me just to see how effortless he makes it look. So, And uh, of course, make sure to check out the new Dream Theater album, A View from the Top of the World. And check the website for uh, up-to-date tour uh, concert dates that uh, hopefully will be revised soon since some of them were canceled. Uh, And I hope you enjoyed this interview. And um, you can follow me on social media or subscribe to the YouTube channel for future episodes. And if you didn't enjoy the interview, uh, just remember, my name is uh, Mitch LaFawn and this is Rock Talk. So thanks for listening. Have a great rest of your day and remember to shoot for the moon.